Thank you for downloading our podcast. Make sure you subscribe to get new ones every week. And don't forget to check out First United Methodist Sweetwater's website and social media. Now, here is Pastor Ryan Strebeck. The colors across the oak table vary, and the shadows crawl with angled perfection. Sunlight lifts each wood grain for ease of beholding while the window muntins hide what geometry requires. The education belongs to anyone who will stop and let the eyes go to school. Um, I wrote uh, those lines of opening poem uh, back in 2018 in Camp Butman. Uh, Lila Webb, who was, had a connection to this church, uh, donated a cabin out there. So Webb Cottage, uh, one morning early as the sun was coming up, I was sitting in the little kitchenette uh, looking out the north window as the sun's coming up. So I say that just to say my favorite place to create something on paper is looking out a north window early in the morning clean desk, which is why I have to go somewhere else, if you've ever seen my desk. Uh, so I go somewhere else to find a clean desk, early sunlight, looking out the north window. That's my dream place to uh, create anything. I suppose if I could have a workshop uh, looking out a north window early in the morning, that would be great too. But those are usually like two in the morning creations, so that doesn't always work. But um, So think about the different settings where we create things, where order and illumination Go hand in hand. If you've ever set up a campground in the dark, what's the first thing you have to do? You got to turn on your headlamp or turn on the pickup lights so you can see what you're doing and kind of begin to create your little space where uh, your ecosystem can uh, survive while you're out there with, with kids or whoever you're there with. Or have you ever watched a teacher uh, in the summertime or maybe spring break make some modifications, but a teacher go to work in their classroom before the kids get there? Or maybe they had to change classrooms, so there's this massive clean out and the walls change and the floor changes and the cubbies change. And some people have decorations and their classroom looks like a living room. And then other people decorate and it looks like an intense workshop. Like there's only one thing we do here and it's this subject. And so there's nothing, it's very simple, it's focused. Uh, people create differently. Uh, I helped John Courageous one time uh, run lights in the Sweetwater Auditorium. And it's like everything's dark. And so you gotta be ready with those lights because they gotta illuminate what's about to happen as something's being created on the stage. The hope in reading Genesis 1, and really reading Genesis at all, is that we might see God in all the things that he has created. That's, that's the hope. And so at the beginning of God's creation, uh, we're meant to just see before the, anything was conceivable at the beginning of time, before anything was, there was God and he began his work. So I just imagine God in this workshop of the entire cosmos and he begins with just a, a simple word, let there be light and things begin to illuminate and things began to fall into place. Um, so I thought today, you know, last week we, we jumped into Genesis and we talked about how we read Genesis differently than we would read a science textbook. Thankfully, it was given to us as a poetic witness to how we all got here and how the sun got where it got and just how we got our start, our beginning. It was our Genesis 
that was written about, that has been handed down, that we have in the book of Genesis. So in those opening pages, we're meant to see poetry. We're meant to see the reason and rhyme. Uh, we're not meant to see a document that helps us date the earth or date the dinosaurs or anything like that. Those are wonderful questions, uh, but somebody else can do that. And, and Genesis is interested in something entirely different. And he, the, the writer and the, and the witness of Genesis is reminding us where we come from, who we are. That's, that's how we got our start. This is where we come from. And we always have questions about this. It doesn't matter if it's now or 100 years ago or 1,000 years ago. We have burning questions that are answered in these pages. The structure, though, of this Genesis 1 comes to us in the language of days. And so, you know, of course, we read this at first glance and we just begin to think of a day as we know a day. Uh, but when we look closer into the structure of the text and we look at the poetry and we begin to see how things are arranged, I think it really helps to break it down. And, and certainly early Jewish interpreters understood it this way. Uh, early Christian interpreters understood it this way. And for some reason, we kind of lost this somewhere along the way. I don't know. In my lifetime, when I hear people talk about Genesis 1, it was always an argument. And, you know, for them, it just wasn't an argument. It was clear what the writer was doing. And so if you like things to be organized and you like order and you think you're one of those people that thinks before you can cook anything in this kitchen, by golly, it better be clean. Um, you know, I'm one of those people that I just, I just clear out like a little space on my workbench or a little space in the kitchen. Uh, but I'm married to somebody, thankfully, that's like, no, that's inappropriate. That's misconduct. Uh, you can't do that. So I've learned like how to, okay, yeah, you clean the space and then you're, you're a better artist. You know, you, you don't want to work on like a canvas that's already half painted. You want to start with the tabla rosa, you know, you want it to be ready. And so this is God. This is what God's doing. You know, he's, he's illuminating and he begins to order things. So uh, for those of you that like order and you like your spreadsheets and your charts, I brought you a chart today. I know we don't always do this, uh, but here's, here's our Genesis 1 chart. And we'll break this down in further detail in, in our Bible study uh, throughout these next several Wednesdays if, if uh, that's something interests you. But um, so this is how people understood this for forever. This is the common understanding of what the author was doing. So, of course, in Genesis 1, 1, uh, we have just an introductory statement. In the beginning, before there was anything, God was at work creating the heavens and the earth. Then we have seven consecutive paragraphs and seven consecutive days. And so uh, the seventh day stands by itself. We'll talk about that later. Uh, the introductory statement is not part of those seven paragraphs, but the six paragraphs in the middle are corresponding days. So you can see that things begin with light, and day one goes on to day two, day three, and then in day four, we have another illumination. So the stars and the moon and the sun. And so you can see one, the chart works, you know, one and four to go together, two and five go together, and three and six go together. This is the literary framework of Genesis 1. And so um, this is kind of how it works. So I'd just like to kind of talk through the days and just try to imagine. And this is an exercise I think that's always valuable. You know, you read through the days of Genesis and you just laugh and you celebrate and you go, wow, yeah, the, the sun. And then you thank God for these icons. Really, everything that's created in these six days is an icon into the person and the work of God. So that's, that's, we were given all these things and we're placed right in the middle of it, but I get ahead of myself. So first things first, let there be light, right? The workshop, the light has to come on and then things begin to move. Um, when God says in this 
in this day, uh, it was good. Uh, it's, it's very specific that light is what he's talking about. And this is, I think, because uh, the, the author does not want us to mistakenly uh, attribute darkness to God also, as though darkness was something that God created. And that becomes more important in next week uh, when we talk about evil. Um, but darkness being the absence of light uh, is not what was, what was created and called good, but rather it was illumination. It was light. And so we, we remember at the beginning of that paragraph, we talked a little bit about that last week. Uh, as for the earth, uh, it was tohu, Bohu, it was without form and without life. It was just formless and void. And, and it's great, but there's a conjunction that follows formless and without life, without form, without life. But, but the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, remember? So that's, we, we, we're, we get the bad news, the earth is formless and void, darkness covered the face of the earth, but the Spirit was at work hovering over the waters. So we get this in day one. Now, the way that each paragraph ends is something like, uh, you know, God did so-and-so, and this was called so-and-so, and there was evening, and there was morning one day. Or later on, there was evening, and there was morning a sixth day. And so, th this can kind of get confusing. People are like, well, how is there evening? And more, I thought it was the day. And, but, you know, remember, Jewish festivals, they, if, if they were on a certain day, the Sabbath day, it always included the, the, the night before. So, so it's just a way of saying, if you're talking about this day, it's this day, including the night before. So there was evening, there was morning, uh, I'm excuse, yeah, there was uh, evening and there was morning one day. So that's day one, light. Day two, uh, sea and heaven. Uh, there's this imagery of, of the waters below being separated from the waters above. And when I make notes on this, I always draw like an archway. You know, you think of, think of these archways that people build like with bricks and you have to put the, the capstone in the middle so that it all holds together. And, and, it's, and the imagery is one of a vault. It's like there's an archway, a vault that's being created to separate the heavier matter uh, from the lighter matter. So the waters are separated and there's this, there's this expanse. There's this dome is the imagery that the Hebrews are using. And so it's God, is, God has got his space and then we have our space. And so it's being, it's being moved apart. There's upper waters, lower waters, there's a vault. Day three, in that lower part that's been separated by the vault, we have the emergence of land or earth, right, it begins to, the, the sea is separated from the dry land, and that allows vegetation. Uh, plant life begins to emerge, and so that's, uh, that was good. And on that day, on day three, there were two works. There was the earth, the dry land became uh, available, and then also things began to grow. So it's two things, so we actually get two, and God saw that it was good, and God saw that it was good, because there were two specific things that were that, were, uh, that appeared on that day. So that's kind of the first wave, the top run, days one through three. And then we go to kind of the second round, coming into uh, day four, corresponds to day one, the luminaries, the sun, the moon, and the stars. And it's really beautiful. It's this chiastic structure where you have let there be, God says let there be, uh, whatever let there be, and then it's followed by and God made. So you have an A, let there be A, let there be B, let there be C, and then all of a sudden there was C, and there was B, and there was A. So it's like this climbing, we're climbing stairs, 
and then we're climbing back down the stairs and everything is working in ordered fashion. And these luminaries, which correspond to the light in day one, were given to rule the day and rule the night, right? Ordering, there's never a time where there's not light. It's just the greater light and the lesser light. There's always light. Day five corresponds to day two. So we have sea and we have heaven. And so in the sea, we get the sea creatures. And in the heavens or the air, we get the birds. We get the fowl, you know. And, and some of you I know are pay, pay great attention to birds. And some of you are great fishermen and women. So uh, this may be uh, ex- especially exciting for you. But when... Um, this idea in verse 20 uh, that is, things are happening in front of the expanse of the heavens. It's like, uh, I think a better way of seeing it is like God is doing work against the backdrop of the sky. So it's like you walk in and there's this, there's this backdrop at the, at the theater, right? You go and you're about to see a play and there's this great backdrop. So everything that's happening is happening against the backdrop of the Nutcracker scene four, whatever. So this is, everything that's happening on this day, it's happening against the backdrop of the, the sky and things have been made. And so they're birds. And it's not just birds like we think of like the bird you'd like put in a cage or some bird that we know it's like wild birds. Things just fluttering all over the place. Like the spirit of God is fluttering over the waters. Then there's these creatures that are fluttering wild all over the place. And then the sea creatures are named. They're very important because in the ancient world, uh, people assumed in their, in their creation narratives, and their creation stories, there was this common understanding that the sea creatures were uh, the stuff you couldn't see under the ocean. That was, the, that was where evil came from, you know? So you just, you stayed away from all that. You don't want to be out on the waters. The waters are always bad. And that sounds kind of silly, uh, but I realized the reason I went camping the other day, and we were swimming with snapping turtles, and I'm like, yeah, the stuff that's happening under the water is scary. So that's understandable. It's easier just to be like, everything under the water is scary, stay away. Everything bad in the world comes from that, right? It's just easier to associate everything evil with something we don't understand or something we don't like. And so the writer of Genesis says, no, even the scary sea monsters were created by God. They're, they're just right there for, for the visibility. So that's what's happening. They didn't come from, uh, God didn't make evil in that way. It's just that they're, there they are. They're created and there's a goodness to them. And then finally, the last day where God is at work is day six. This imagery of, and, then, and now since there's dry land and since there's vegetation for uh, land creatures to survive on, we begin to see the emergence of livestock the emergence of wild animals. And so uh, this, the earth is populated in that way. Um, also on day six, where we get the creatures that live on the land, we get us. We see ourselves appear in the story and it's this climactic moment. And there's this great poetic pause in the middle uh, where God created humanity and, and it's in verse 26, and you, and you can see the, the way that the rhythm works. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created them, male and female, he created them. So we're, we're just this high mark of everything that's being created. Uh, humanity, this is the crown of God's creation. We are the sort of the apple of God's eye in that respect. We're the crowning piece of all creation. Um, and this is the only day, this is the only thing that God creates, the only time where we see God creating something and 
we get in on what God's thinking. Isn't that, isn't that neat? Don't you sometimes wonder what's in the mind of God and what God was thinking when he did so-and-so? And so in this moment, uh, in this, on day six, we get this clear statement about God's logic in verse 26. And then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Now, let us, let, you hear the language, let us, let us go and do this thing. Let us go and make humanity and let us create humanity in our image. Let these people that we create reflect our nature, our image. Let them be stamped with the dignity which we've had before the creation of the world. And so, and when you think of it that way, it's very humbling because you realize that you and I were in God's mind before anything ever happened, that God was contemplating what would be good, what would be a crowning achievement after all of this. And so here we are, let us make humanity in our image and let them flourish uh, everywhere that we have created. So God has finished his work on day six. And don't you love it when you finish something and you can take a step back and I'm about to fall out of the pulpit here, stepping back. Don't you love when you finish and you can step back and you just kind of admire for a second what you did? It's like when, when your child brings you a, a drawing or even a math paper or something they wrote and they're like, here, look at this. Isn't this great? And you look at it and you're like, yeah, that's great. Uh, and they're so excited because they just made something. You know, they just create, there was a blank piece of paper and now there's something. We love to create things and then step back. And we love to show our friends, hey, look at this thing that I made. Look at this thing that we, that we cooked or look at this thing that we built and look at this thing that happened. And we love doing that. Um, the kids and I spent way too long uh, building a tree house last year and we took you know and and my contemplation in mind works very slowly so it took me like six months to design it you know in between I'd think oh maybe we'll do it this way maybe we'll do it that way part of that is design precision and part of that is procrastination so you all understand that that's why I love the design process because you can just wait and be like nah I think we'll change we'll do that a little differently uh, use a different kind of bolts there um, but it was fun when we finally finished it you know we could all just step back and we were like wow that's, that's pretty neat. That's pretty neat that we could, you know, now we can see something where there wasn't something before and they, they get a sense of, of creation. Well, God does something similar. He works. He gets to work. Uh, this is another reminder. Again, we'll talk more about next week, but God is working. I mean, God is showing us that work in itself is a good thing. Uh, God gets to work right away. And after his six days of work, after these things are created, there's a pause. And God stops working. The work stops, and there's a seventh day. And on the seventh day uh, is, is a blessing for that seventh day. It's set apart. It's different. Uh, God sanctifies that day. He, he, he recognizes that everything that he's made is perfect, that it's all perfect. Everything is in its exact right spot. And so God marvels at what's been created and he paused and he says, you know, this world that I've created and these people that live in it now, there's nothing that is lacking. There is no shadow of darkness. This is, this is good. And so we get that great pronouncement that it wasn't just good like the other six days, but it was very good. And it wasn't just good, this one individual thing like the sea creatures or the birds or whatever, but it was all of it. All of it is good. All of it's very good. 
And again, in, in the ancient world, you had, you had festivals. You had times where people stopped working in order to celebrate or to do something special. They followed the lunar calendar. But usually, it was like the gods are angry. We have to appease them. So let's harm ourselves. So there were these festivals where there's, they're, they're engaging in all these acts of self-affliction. And then they're, they're celebrating all the bad things that have happened to them. And they're like, okay, gods, uh, I hope you're happy now. You know, now we've done these awful things to ourselves. And now we can carry on with life. And maybe life will go better for us later, right? And so um, that sounds crazy again. But we, we still do that today. I mean, we tend to think that things, bad things are happening to us because of this, that, or the other. And the gods are angry with us. So we should, we should you know, appease them somehow. And, and the image of our God here is not a God that's angry or a God that's anxious. He's just at peace. He's created this world and he steps back and he says, hey, the work is done. Let's take a break. Let's make this day holy. Let's make this time after we work. Let's make it point towards something. And let's take a minute to admire what's beautiful. So that's what God does. I want to close by taking a look forward, fast-forwarding into the New Testament and another time where we remember where God finished his work and there was rest. I'm thankful to Augustine for this reminder this week, and Gary read this text for us, but I think it's important as Christians as we read Genesis to understand that the biblical imagination of Genesis and other Old Testament books, that's, that's what our New Testament writers are reading and that's what they're referring to when they say scripture. And so their imagination has been shaped by these stories and this imagery and these poems. And so uh, this, this is all connected. And so in John 19, where Jesus is on the cross and he's being crucified, and he says that he is thirsty. And they, you know, give him the sour wine on a sponge. And when Jesus had had that momentary quench of his thirst, he said, it is finished. And he bowed, and John says, and he gave up his spirit. And so we normally reflect on this on Good Friday, uh, but I think it's important to remember that this was also God working. So God in Genesis is working to create a world, to create us. And when things go south and things get all disordered and darkness comes into the picture and we can't find our way and we've made a mess of things, uh, Jesus goes to work to bring new creation and he does that by giving his life. And so he's able to say on the cross, I've been working here and now the work is finished. And so we get another sense of this peaceful opportunity for us to receive the work of new creation that has begun in us and through us. It is finished. Christ has perfectly achieved our redemption Darkness and disorder have been overwhelmed by the power of the cross, and this work of new creation has begun. So as we look for God and all that God has created, let us remember where we came from, that we were God's idea. And let us remember where we stand, and that is right in the center of God's redemption work.
the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.